Hello, welcome to the podcast of Wageningen Alternative Protein Project, where people talk about their work in protein transition. I am Shan, a master's student in food technology, and I will be your host today. Our guest today is PhD candidate Regina Politique. Hi, Regina. Thank you for being here. How are you? Hello, Shan. I'm good. How are you? The weather these days in the Netherlands is super nice. It's almost like it's summer. Yeah, it's also really warm uh, outside at the moment. It's very nice. Yeah. Would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, of course. Yes. I'm uh, Regina Politiek. I uh, studied uh, my bachelor in Wageningen and uh, also my master I did in Wageningen. And currently I'm doing my PhD at food process engineering. Next to doing my PhD, I'm also, I also like to doing sports. So I uh, play volleyball uh, next to that. Oh, nice. Recently, it's uh, okay for sports club to hold activities again. And it must be really nice for you to be out there, play with your team. Yeah, I have to say the nice weather is playing uh, playing a good part in uh, being more outside again. In the, we are now playing on the beach. So. Ah, yeah, that's nice. So what is the title of your PhD study? Uh, the title of my PhD study is Dry Fractionation of Oil-Rich Crops. So actually... Um, what I'm looking at uh, is uh, the fractionation of the yeah more seeds that have more oil inside them. And um, I'm working on dry separation methods for these uh, materials to create uh, a more sustainable uh, process, a cheaper process and a clean labeled process. Yeah, this because the conventional process is uh, wet fractionation and that uses a lot of chemicals. And uh, also, you if you use wet separation, you can imagine that you uh, add a lot of extra water. Mm -hmm. And the addition of water also leads that you need to uh, evaporate the water again. And evaporation processes can be uh, quite energy intensive. And as we need to go to a more sustainable way of producing as well, dry fractionation might be an option. What was your motivation for doing this project, actually? My motivation for doing this project was that I was interested in all the components that are in there. So uh, during my master, I studied uh, sustainable food process engineering. And uh, the courses on sustainability really caught my attention, actually. And um, yeah, I really would like to contribute on also making other crops than, for example, yellow pea uh, available for dry fractionation. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the nice thing about all these plant materials, they are very upcoming, is that they have uh, a lot of different materials that can be applied in ingredients and that not need to be so concentrated. So for example, the crops have quite some protein, they have some fat, they have some fibers and some starch. And um, yeah, I think that got really my attention. And then I think dry fractionation in combination with my interest in these uh, components made uh, me very motivated to, to choose this topic. Can you tell us what actually is dry fractionation? Yeah, so dry fractionation is a method that is based on separation of, yeah, on physical separation. So uh, if you have, for example, yellow peas, they have uh, larger starch granules and uh, smaller protein bodies. So they have a difference in size and also in uh, circularity. And yeah, you can compare it a bit with uh, with sieving, actually. So if you would have large particles and small particles and your sieve side is somewhere in between, you will collect the large particles on top of your sieve and the smaller particles will fall through and you co will collect them in, on the bottom of the sieve. And then you actually have yeah, two physically different fractions. And one fraction is then more, for example, in the case of larger starch granules and protein bodies, one is more rich in the starch granules 
and the other is more rich in protein. Okay. So you just mentioned that your PhD is focused on oil, oil legumes. So the oil body in the seeds. What is so important about oil that's related to dry fractionation? Like how does oil interfere with fractionation, I guess? Well, if you have, yeah, you could maybe imagine if you have uh, peanuts, for example, they're very high in oil content. And um, yeah, before you can apply dry fractionation, you first need to uh, mill the material into a fine flour, like you like powder sugar or something like that. And you can imagine that if you take whole peanuts and you mill them, that they will, yeah, that you will end up with a sort of peanut butter. And you cannot really see the peanut butter or separate uh, the peanut butter because you get all the oil outside of the particles. But there are also crops that are a bit lower in fat content or you can defat the crops. And then afterwards you can still apply uh, dry fractionation. But uh, yeah, research on that is still a bit lacking. Um, oil is also important because it might affect your properties of your final product. So you can imagine that yeah, when you have oil, oil is also known to oxidize, for example, uh, quite easily. So oxidation might be, for example, a problem when you have uh, fractions with more oil than uh, less oil or something like that. I can imagine that if before the dry fractionation, the oil need to be extracted, then probably organic solvent will be used in those process. And I guess using or organic solvent isn't the most sustainable way of dealing with this, right? No, no, that's indeed true. So that's also with the oil-rich crops, sometimes the problem. Uh, most conventional processes use uh, the solvent extraction because it's quite efficient and uh, you can extract most of your oil. But there are also other processes, like, for example, uh, cold pressing or normal pressing, where you apply a pressure to extract the oil from the seeds. And then you end up with a sort of, yeah, with a cake or with a mat compressed material, which is depleted of oil. But yeah, you cannot really extract all the oil with pressing, for example. Also with uh, solvent extraction, most, mostly some oil will still be left in the material. So it sounds like dry fractionation is um, a way that you leverage on the original structure of the plant material. So instead of uh, using water, which is a really energy um, intensive process, the structure difference could be used to our advantage in separating the different fractions of the crop. But is there any disadvantages of dry fractionation as compared to the traditional wet fractionation? Yes. Yes. So the advantages are indeed that you have a lower energy and water consumption, but the disadvantage can also be that you need a physical difference. So if all your particles are the same size or are not getting any difference physically, they cannot really be separated. And another disadvantage is that you get lower purities when you use dry fractionation. Yeah, these low, to explain, these lower purities are a bit related to the composition of your body. So for example, if you have a protein body, it's not 100% protein, but it also consists of some other materials. And with uh, wet fractionation, you can go to more isolates. And with dry fractionation, you will end up with more concentrated products. So is there a tendency for oil to stay with the star starch fraction or the protein fractions? Well, actually, with the oil-rich uh, legumes, they, they don't consist of uh, a lot of starch, actually. So mm -hmm. if you have Actually, you can see it like uh, like the following. So an oil-rich oil legume is actually storing its energy in the oil. And then when it, the crop needs to grow, for example, when you plant the seeds, the seeds will use the oil as a sort of uh, energy mechanism. 
And for Star Trek legends, the energy is con is uh, conserved in the starch granules. So actually, when you have an oil-rich crop, you mo mostly don't have a lot of starch in there. So you're actually separating different structures. Ah, so then it's actually very different situation for star-rich or oil-rich plant seeds. Yeah, so the oil-rich materials, you mostly separate the proteins from the fibers that are present in the uh, crops. It sounds like the uh, the way to separate the oil from the plant seed, you still kind of crush the structure. So either you press it or you probably mill it and then use organic solvent to track it out. But is there a way currently possible to just separate the oil body, intact oil body out of the seed? Um, yeah, you can separate the intact oil bodies with several processes. For dry friction, yeah, you have to see it like uh, the oil bodies are really small compared to the protein bodies. They are like around two micron and protein bodies around 10 micron. So they're really small. And um, the dry fractionation, they tend to stand with the fine fraction, so to say. So they, the oils tend to stand in that fraction. Mm -hmm. um, I have to say, I'm not really sure which which specific process at this moment is able to separate the oil bodies. But I know that quite some people also uh, are looking at extracting whole oil bodies. And that's because they have like a nice protein layer around them. So for emulsions, for example, they are quite, they are quite nice to have them as a whole and not as only fat. Mm -hmm. What are some uh, challenges that you're faced with when you try to study the role of oil in this process? I think... One of the main challenges is that uh, people are quite often tended to say, yeah, if you if you have oil present, uh, the process doesn't work or that, that it's reported, yeah, it's because of the oil. But actually, when we uh, look at some processes, sometimes it seems not to be the oil, but for example, water content that is playing a larger role in the final separation than the oil itself. So by water content, you mean, for example, for the for the seeds, how dry are they when they go into the process? Is that what you mean? Yeah, so indeed how dry are they, but also it also depends on what kind of air you have. Sometimes we have that in uh, summer, some experiments work better than in winter. Actually, the operating temperature of the equipment quite matters or temperature, but we are located or first we were located in a location that didn't have really conditioned airflow. Uh -huh. And then you really, yeah, you're dependent on how the weather is outside. But now we got conditioned airflow. So I'm quite uh, curious what uh, will be the result of that. Mm. Yeah, that would be nice. Instead of having to wait for uh, summer to test on the effect of higher temperature, that's going to take a long time. Yeah. <laughs> Did you notice some differences in the in the oil seeds that you investigate, like differences between soybean, rapeseed and sunflower, are they really significant in designing the process for them? Yeah, I saw some differences actually because um, they are also different in uh, fat content. Uh -huh. And uh, soybean, I was quite uh, happy about it because I could quite mill it into a fine flour you could also find in the kitchen. And mm -hmm. um, for separation, uh, it could also be separated. For rapeseed, I was also able to mill it, but a bit less fine than the soy. And it has also a bit higher fat content. And the sunflower seeds were like, uh, without extracting the oil, you could not really mill them finely. Mm -hmm. So yeah, for that seeds, you cannot say, I will just use dry fractionation without defatting. You, you, yeah, you really should defat these uh, samples. Well, for soy, you could also use the full fat one, for example. 
I guess the difference between legumes and other plants also matters in the structure of the seeds in this case. Because I can, yeah, I also can imagine that the beans might be easier to mill than nuts, like sunflower. That's kind of, like in my mind, it's kind of similar to a nut. Yeah. It might become more pasty, I guess. Yes, indeed. So with the sunflower, we tried and we indeed got like the whole mill got a sort of paste of sunflower uh, <laughs> material. So it was a sort of sunflower peanut butter, but then... Uh, oh. Yeah, so that that was not really possible without defetting. That's really interesting. As in, there are a lot of a lot of oil-rich crop, and currently, I guess almost all of them we need this oil extraction step mm -hmm. before processing further. If a better method could be found out, then it's definitely going to be a big improvement in the production, and maybe new variety of ingredients possible produced by that. Yeah, I think so. But it also doesn't have to be a bad thing if oil has to be extracted prior to fraction further fractionation. If you mm -hmm. can also deal with residue of oil. So if you don't need to extract all the oil, it might already help for uh, the whole process, let's say. Just reduce the amount of oil. Yeah, yeah. if you would reduce, like take out everything, you get also other problems again with uh, dry fractionation. Because if you take, yeah, let's say if you take out all the oil, your material becomes really... Uh, sticky actually because it's so fine oh. material it will also give problems oh that i didn't know <laughs> so yeah there is always a bit like a trade-off where it's ideal and where it's not ideal so apart from the what you just indicated that the existence of lipid in the fractions might influence them first of all the actual uh, characteristic of the fraction like whether it's pasty or is uh is it a fine powder and also, you, just, you also mentioned that uh, oil uh, lipid oxidation could be a big problem in terms of storage and stability of the fractions. But apart from that, are there any other influence, like maybe sensory indication for the lipid existing? Um, I did not study the sensory uh, indications yet, but I also studied some, yeah, some less conventional materials. Uh, and their uh, dry fractionation was applied to insects, mm -hmm. actually. And they uh, really found a difference in the fine fraction and the coarse fraction. They didn't really find the difference in protein content yet, or it's not optimal yet. Mm -hmm. I have to say the coarse fraction was less powdery and the fine fraction was more powdery. And that the fine fraction was more liked, actually, than the coarse fraction. Mm -hmm. But still, functionality-wise... I think there were some other differences. I cannot recall them right now, but there are sensory differences between the fractions. And also, if you have a higher protein content, it might affect your foam stability, for example, or your foam mobility. Mm -hmm. So the fractions will both have different, yeah, different properties. Yeah, because I can imagine that whether you extract the oil from the prop before you fraction it, uh, yeah, will lead to really different fraction. Then I, I was just wondering if there are some like taste difference that you ha might have uh, noticed during your experiments. Unfortunately, we are not allowed to taste the products uh, oh. that uh, that you make. Okay. Or yeah, some we can. So if you really clean the machine well, you can use uh, air classification then mm -hmm. to to produce fractions that you can sort of eat. Uh -huh. But we also have another system that is called electrostatic separation. Yeah. And that is more based on the electrostatics charge that uh, the materials get. And I think, yeah, that is also in the in the lab. And I think that's not a food grade lab. So then we are not allowed to taste it. That's kind of a shame, right? <laughs> yeah, sometimes. But 
On the other hand, you can smell it. And I also know that PSD before me, she uh, worked on uh, baking breads of these fractions. Uh-huh. And then the lab smelled really nice. Oh, <laughs> like a little bakery. Every day you go to work at. Yeah. That's so cool. So after he- hearing about your research, what kind of research is generally done in the chair group where your project is located? So my project is located in the uh, drying group of Maarten Schutteiser. Mm-hmm. And within the drying group, we, uh, we do quite a multiple things. We worked on freeze concentration. Mm-hmm. Uh, we work on the spray drying of different legumes. And also, so for example, the asparagus is uh, used quite a lot. We work on uh, 3D printing as well. So really 3D food printing with different, all kinds of different materials are printed. Um, we work on single droplet drying. So that's actually, yeah, also more on the drying, but then on like drying of really one single droplet and then using that for further uh, altering your drying process or understanding what's happening in the drying process. Yeah, I think we also have someone that works now on a really large scale spray dryer. So um, she's now low located in Germany but she will come also here and we also have like yeah really large equipment uh, for that ah nice and in the bigger group yeah we have also people work on uh, microfluidics on uh, meat replacers and on yeah on the digestibility for example and all yeah other things that uh, are done in food process engineering Mm -hmm. what do you think is the most important skill set for researching in this field or let's say just in your project I think a most important skill is that you're curious about why something is happening and that you don't give up when someone says, uh, yeah, it's not possible that you try to find out or why it isn't possible or how you can make it possible or something. Mm. So perseverance and curiosity? Yes, I think so. What about the technical aspects? Any specific uh, area of knowledge you need to have? Uh, with input process engineering, it's really nice if you have some insight in uh, the sustainability aspect and also in how this is calculated, for example, or how uh, it is defined. Because you can have quite some discussion on uh, how sustainable a process is and what makes it sustainable or what doesn't make it sustainable. And there are always yeah, multiple factors in there. Mm. And I think that is quite helpful within the group if you have some knowledge on uh, that. But it's not... A prerequisite. I think you can also, if you're more interested in the process yourself and you're really good at, for example, modeling or um, like interpreting a process, it might also be very helpful because, yeah, there are also some people just working on modeling a system. They have like a really large data set Mm -hmm. and uh, they try to model or to predict what will happen if you use certain combinations or certain uh, steps in there. It's really interesting that you mentioned the sustainability-related knowledge. When people think about processing, then it's all this uh, engineering and calculations and uh, like to actually how to improve the process itself. But I guess in in this group, in your group, researchers are really pivoting on the sustainability uh, advantages of the technology. So that's why it's also important to know how to deal with that in the research, right? Yes, and I also think for if you really want to be a process engineer, it's important to take the process or the sustainability impact into account. Also, if you would, yeah, if you are deciding to go, for example, to industry, mm-hmm. it's good that you are aware of the sustainability and how to find out what how sustainable your process is, for example. 
Yeah, definitely. Since we're talking about sustainability, what is your view of alternative protein and its future development? I really like alternative proteins, actually, I have to say. So uh, we have like plant proteins are like the, yeah, the crop where most people go for as an alternative protein crop. Yeah. But actually for plant proteins, there is still like, there are a lot of crops to discover. I think there are like nine crops where most uh, proteins are coming from at the moment. Mm-hmm. But you can imagine the world is so much larger than only nine protein crops. So there are lots more crops to uh, be discovered there. For example, crops that are tolerant to drought or that are that have just different properties and they are still undiscovered or un- unexplored. So there is a lot of potential. And also, yeah, other protein sources are, for example, insects or LGA or single cell cultures. And I think yeah, these novel protein sources are also quite uh, quite interesting to look at. Yeah, that's very true. Like this is, a, I guess, a really, really big field in, in, uh, which involves a lot of different sources and different processing methods and different, I guess, product design or production uh, method as well. So I totally agree that at least in, in Wagen University, I guess, the source could be a really nice area to explore on. Yes. And I think within Wageningen, collaborations should also be done between different groups, for example, uh, plant breeding and uh, processing can be related. Only plant breeding takes a lot more time than processing them, yeah. I think. I think now there are researchers collaborating between processing and bio-based research, right? Yes, yes. There there are a lot of collaborations with uh, also with uh, food and bio-based research. Oh, that's nice to know. Do you have personal hobbies related to the transition of protein? Like, have your knowledge or your research in this field influenced your lifestyle in some way? Yeah, I think a little bit because I'm more curious on trying uh, more meat alternatives. And also because like the, yeah, there there is so much in the supermarket. I really like it. Yeah, yeah. And then you get also your favorites. Like, oh, I really like this one, but that one is not there yet. Or it's not, uh, yeah, the, the flavor is not so nice or the texture is not so nice yet, but it really made me explore them more than uh, when I arrived at Wageningen, I think, seven years ago now. Yeah. Which meat analogs your favorite? My favorite is the, yeah, the Vokstukjes, I think. Ah. You can really nicely use them in, in, uh, in a nasi. So it's really fast, really easy food. I really like it. Ah, I should try that out. I haven't tried it. Yeah. Anything you want to tell the fellow students in Wageningen who are interested in this field? Yeah, I think if you're interested in this field, it's nice to explore what is there and what is what is possible because there are a lot of uh, projects on development of sustainable and novel protein sources. Mm-hmm. And uh, it depends a bit on where your interest is. Your interest can be really in the processing of these so- sources or in yeah maybe more in how the process should be more sustainable mm-hmm. or yeah, it depends a bit or really on the functionality of the product so it depends a bit on what your interest is i think if you really want to work or work on a project within the field you should actually also think about where you want do i want to work on the yeah on the project do i really want to work on the like plant breeding sort of or more on the process or more on the yeah functionality or sustainability and the sustainability takes a bit everything into account of course but that's really good a suggestion because this is a super big field so finding the direction around in it is also an important thing to do before actually deciding to, for example, join a research project. 
Yeah, and you can always ask what kind of research uh, they are doing. If they're more focused on the process itself at this moment or more on uh, the functionality and finalizing the product, so to say. Mm -hmm. But it can also be combined, that I also have to say, that sometimes they, it, like everything is sort of linked and combined together. But Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. So for your project, it's actually currently accepting positions for master's or bachelor's student thesis, right? Yes, yes. I have currently one master's student, but from September onwards, I will also have a position open again uh, for new students. Nice. So I guess we should apply for the deadline. Yeah, if you're uh, if you're interested in dry fractionation, you can apply. And otherwise, I, I'm happy also to see you in the open house, for example. I think uh, we, ha we have that soon again. I will definitely go there. <laughs> then I can also show a bit more pictures. That makes it a bit easier. Yeah. Any activity would you find interesting for us as an organization to organize for promoting alternative protein on campus? I'm thinking if you want to promote something, a tasting session might be quite nice. I think so as well. And food is something that really connects people. So it's a good way to raise people's interest for sure. But now in Corona time, it's a bit difficult. But after that, we should definitely organize something like that. Yeah. Thank you, Lerchina, for sparing your time for us today and your sharing on the interesting topic of dry fractionation. And I guess good luck with your PhD project. And I hope to talk to you again very soon. Thank you for having me, Jean. And uh, I hope to see, uh, to hear from the students soon. Thank you for listening. If you have enjoyed it and would like to hear more interesting interviews about alternative protein, Subscribe and follow our Facebook page of the Wageningen Alternative Protein Project. Thanks again, and we will see you in the next episode.